Good day and welcome to the Automotive Society podcast. I am your host Siraj, and today I'm joined by a guest, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hello, Siraj. How you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, so today's episode is going to be structured much like the last one, where we're going to talk about Mitch and um, what got him into the automotive world and how how it affected his life. Um, to start off with a little introduction for Mitch, you are the president of Macquarie University Automotive Society. That um, is correct, yes. Yes, you started it all. Yeah, um, from scratch. Yeah, you started it a year before I wanted to start it. Well, yeah. actually, you started it the year I wanted to start it. <laughs> and that's the reason now uh, paths crossed. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have uh, would have met you if I didn't start this society or I would have been joining um, if... Uh, you were the president if you'd started it when you came. So, yeah, um, yeah, that was back in 2019 um, and uh, started by going through all the rigmarole of paperwork and constitutions and setting up everything um, through the University Society Commission. Um, yeah, um, let's, start from yeah. The, let's start from your origin story. Mm. Um at what age did you get into cars and how did you get into cars? Um, I think I'd probably put it down to my dad. Um, he's he, oh, I wouldn't call him a car enthusiast. Um, but uh, I think at the age of 11, dad and I went around Australia um, as a little trip with just me and him. Um, and we used to play this game where we had to identify all the cars on the road and the person who had identified the fastest or what we would regard as the best car uh, won that day. So I'd be driving around Australia and be like, BMW 335i, that's my car. And Dad would be like, oh, um, Porsche 911 Turbo S, that's my car. And whoever ended with the best car in the day would win. Um, and I think that's how it started, my fascination with cars, identifying them, seeing them around a lot. Um, and then... Uh, so your dad's definitely into cars. Yeah, definitely. He has a HSV, Club Sport, yeah. um, relatively modified. So yeah, he, I'd definitely say he's into cars. Not a not a massive enthusiast, but yeah, definitely into cars. Yep, yep, fair enough. Um, so that's always a good start. That's mm. what we um, most people you talk to normally get into cars because of their parents or some sort of family member. Mm. So that started you off into the love of cars. Mm. Where did it lead you to? What what did, what what car did you get when you got your L's? Um, so I originally started driving my nan's Toyota Corolla. That's yep. what I did all my L's on. Um, uh, I think I would have done at least a thousand reverse parallel parks in that car, um, uh, in preparation for the P's test. So I started nice. with that. Um, I did a lot of driving in a Honda Accord Euro, yep. um, uh, which was my granddad's car. I did a little drive, a little bit of driving on my dad's HSV GTS back when, um, I was starting on my L's and that oh, was wow. manual and that was, that was very hard to get used to. A powerful car to start off yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, heavy clutch, not used to driving manual was quite hard. Um, also, I drove a red convertible Holden Astra, which was my stepmom's car. Oh, um, yeah. And I used to drive around in that uh, on my L's as well. Um, and then when I got my P's, I got my first car, which was a 2012 um, Holden Cruise SRIV. Holden Cruise. Mm. I can see your family being into Holdens here. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's a few Holdens. A little short story about that is Dad and I actually bought his current HSV Club Sport and my Holden Cruise on the exact same day from the same dealership. Really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
And your stepmom's Astra as well? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think she bought a Hyundai Santa Fe like a week later from the same dealership. Oh, okay. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so the Holden Cruise, that's mm. what that's what got you on your journey. Yeah. Did you modify it? Yeah, stupidly. Yeah. Uh, not a car that you need to modify. <laughs> it's a family sedan. It weighs 1.6 tons. Front wheel drive yep. has 86 kilowatts. But you so, made it better. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I certainly made it more what I wanted. Um, I wouldn't say it was better at all. I couldn't get up my driveway anymore because I made it too low. Um, so I went to Heisman Steerings. They put in a Bilstein B16 suspension oh, all wow, around. Oh, wow, Heisman's. That's a serious shop. Yeah. That's like all the race cars in Sydney go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all and your you time, world time attack stuff, they'll get their prep done there. Yeah, and you took um, a Holden Cruise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, can I get some suspension in this car, please? And they were like, oh, sure. Yeah. We'll take the money from this, you know, silly kid. Um, so I put some suspension in it. I upgraded the rotors, the calipers, the pads, braided lines, fluid. Um, got some lightweight Koya wheels with some Toyo R1R tires, which are pretty awesome. Um, and the thing handled like an absolute dream. Uh, oh, handled wow. better than my current car, um, just because of the setup. And then I did a, a three-inch intake with an exposed pod filter, which I thought was sick at the time, but could definitely get you know. Um, fine well, for actually, that nowadays. Yeah, back then, I, I reckon cops used to be stricter than they are today. Mm. I used mm. to definitely get pulled over more as a P-plater yeah. than P-platers get pulled over today. Yeah. Um, and back in those days as well, uh, I think the rule was you couldn't actually drive a turbocharged car on your yes. Yes. Um, P's or a supercharged or any force induction. So back when I had my car, that was the rule. So I was actually driving an illegal car and I didn't realize at the time. And <laughs> um, yeah, I got pulled over. Uh, by the cops when I was driving home from the gym with my dad in the car um, and we managed to talk our way out of it by saying dad was teaching me how to drive manual still but I was on my P's so oh. that's so how I got out of that one. So the picked up that it's not a P-plate? Yeah, because they just scan the rego and it just comes up as a an illegal car for a P-plate to be driving. That's crazy. So he said, hurry up and get your exemption otherwise the next time you get pulled over you're not getting away with it. Yeah. And I was like, Did yeah, you end no, up getting an exemption? Got an exemption and... Um, Back then, I was going to Sydney Uni and I had to drive from main campus Camperdown to Lidcombe every yep. day, pretty much, because yep. I'd have cut classes going between. Jeez. And I would get pulled over three times a week um, along Parramatta Road by <laughs> cops checking to see if I was driving it legally <laughs> with an exemption. That so I should just have it in my hand pretty much every time coming from uni to ca the other campus, just like ready to give it to them out the window. Wow. I had yeah. an exemption, but I never had to use it, never had to show it to anyone. Yeah. I got picked on big time when I was in that Damn, car. Damn, that's crazy. And a Holden Cruise, but still. Holden yeah. Cruise, yeah. Uh, P-play prohibited car. There you go, yeah. guys. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that now. <laughs> no way. Slow 1.6 tons. 1.4. 1.4 liter. Yeah, so when yeah. they first came out, there were 1.4 when I bought it, and they went to a massive 1.6 a little bit later on. Oh. Um, what an upgrade. Yeah. And then I, I had it tuned at TuneHouse. Um, wow. So I had a three-inch straight pipe exhaust, no muffler, yep. no cat, no resonator. Yeah. Straight out the back. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it actually sounded like okay because it spooled up so quick. <laughs> um, didn't sound like a Holden Cruise at all. Oh, wow. Um, and then, yeah, got it tuned at TuneHouse and it made 118 wheel kilowatts. That's not too bad. Yeah. That's a big from, upgrade. From 86 engine kilowatts. Yeah, that's upgrade. That's an upgrade so, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely faster. I feel like those are really good mods to do to a first car anyway. Yeah, and I definitely needed the tune after the intake and exhaust. Like, the car was riding rough. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, I think I want to do an episode in the future of um, affordable cars with the best tuning engines. So like, 
Mm. Um, You'd definitely be hitting up Hondas then. Yeah, You're talking definitely, about definitely affordable. Talking about Hondas. I don't know about affordable now, depending which one you want, but oh, I guess certainly compared K. to the rest of them, it's it's affordable. Yeah, but yeah. um, but a Holden Cruise, eh? Never would have thought of that. Yeah, no one did. Every no. time I took it somewhere to get modified, they're like, "What? What is this? Why do you want to change this? So how come? How come you wanted to get rid of it? What happened? Um, well, I wanted. Well, I uh, back when I bought the car, um, Dad helped me financially quite a lot with it. Um, and then he was using it as a tax write-off for his work as well because um, he would drive it occasionally to and from work. And so then we were ready to upgrade to another car and that's when I bought my Subaru. So we had to sell it then and you know put that money towards buying the Subaru. So you've only ever owned two cars? Correct, yep. Driven heaps only ever owned two, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And how old are you? <laughs> 27 now. 27. Recently 27, yeah. Second car. Yeah. 27. Yeah. Um, so what Subaru was it? I have a 2016 STI. So yeah. um, one of the slightly newer models. So the facelift from the 2013, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's been a really, really good car. They're notorious for having issues, but I've, you know, blasted this one on the track heaps and a lot of spirited driving, skid pan, hill climbs, all that sort of stuff, and not yep. a single issue with the car since That's I've crazy. had it. That's crazy. That's so good. Which is really unheard of, but, you know, I'm happy about so it. So, knowing that you're a mechanical engineering student mm. um, who's almost about to graduate. Mm, six months, yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing you've done mods to this car. Um, yeah. Um, I've kind of gone a completely different way. I used to think of modifying a car as being, you know, power mods, things like that. Yep. Um, this time, I've sort of gone all the way towards, like, the handling mods and also the preventative mods less less p plater mods more adult mods. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um because uh, it might sound a bit weird but i think you know 305 horsepower from a subaru on a street as a street car is plenty you really don't need much more when you're just no, driving I, on the I street i definitely agree um i think subarus make great street cars mm. um i do not agree with the same on the track i think yeah subarus yeah. should stay at stock power and should have more stock Stock-like mods mm. because um, they need a lot of fixing before they can be fast and powerful. Yeah, yep. a lot of money uh, just to make it competitive on the track, which yeah, is kind of yeah. silly when you have a car that's spo- supposedly rally-bred and a good race yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like they're very different in from the Evo in that way. The Evo is more mm. of a track-ready car, yeah. whereas a Subaru has – you have to – take a few steps before you can get there yeah i totally agree with that um even even when i first started driving i noticed that there was understeer issues i'd be going fast yeah. through i don't know if anyone knows this street but livingston avenue and pimble it's a little bit of a windy road um and i used to kind of push it through there and anytime it was wet you'd notice straight away that the front would like to push so yeah well more than understeer i think i'm talking about more like um engine mods wise like mm. um the engine can only withstand so much mm. Um, so much boost before you know something goes. Yeah, yeah, like you have the oil pump issues. Yeah, I know it's a classic joke with Subarus about the head gaskets mm. and all that. But um, it's a stereotype and a classic joke for a reason, though, because it does happen to a it lot. It does of them. happen, but I feel like it only happens to the people that really go for modifying their cars. Agreed. Like if you, yep. if you turn up the boost and do nothing else to it. Yeah, what do you yeah, expect? Gonna, yeah, what are you going to expect? You're yeah. going to blow a head gasket regardless. It's not the car being unreliable, it's the owner being unreliable. Yeah, and so The owner's just chucking random stuff at it yeah. and expecting you to take it. Exactly. Um, you know, the, you get the people and they do like an intake and exhaust and they don't tune it. And you're like, well, I think 
what I heard was um, that to meet emissions regulations, Subaru had to um, make their tune slightly more lean than it used to be in the later model Subarus. Yeah. And so because of that, if you're going to then start chucking on intakes and exhaust and increasing the amount of air that can get in there, you're leaning it out even more. Yeah. And that's when you start getting like, you know, issues with port injection because it's not injecting directly onto the cylinder. So you get it to overheat and then you get ring land failure, then you get head gasket, then you get all these other issues. Yeah, because so they, were, they were designed for emissions in mind, not performance in mind. Correct. Um, no matter how much you want performance as a manufacturer, you have to adhere to emission mm. laws mm. and um, your car just won't do as well if your fuel economy is crap and, and it gets all these bad reviews on emissions, you know. Yeah. Not to mention you have to pay more to get them certified. So yep. every time a newer car like yours comes out, anything, I guess, past 2009, 2010 mm. comes out, has to go through all this emission stuff where as a performance-oriented driver, you want to undo some of the emissions and mm. do some of the mods. That but, but to do that, you have to do them properly. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. you're definitely going to suffer from that. Do them properly properly and um, go towards the more performance mods before you start thrashing on the thing yep. or before you turn up the boost um, make sure the rest of the engine can actually handle yeah. it um, so yeah. my mods are sort of um, just preventative mods for track so I just got a um, killer B sump so it has a larger amount of oil like in the, in the sump now yep. um, an oil pickup, killer B oil pickup um, and the windage tray this is to prevent Oil starvation, starvation. during cornering. And there's been a quite of... Uh, I was kind of frightened by the amount of stories of um, oil pickups breaking. And then, obviously, engine detonation really? immediately. Really? Stock ones? Yeah, stock ones. Because I think this is what I've heard, that they're brazed. They're not um, made out of the same piece. Oh. So Because like, it's brazed, when it heats up too much or whatever, it starts to become weak and it fractures. Yeah. And then once your pickup's gone, like, see a later engine. So, um, And then oil yeah. pump as well. So that so that wasn't that wasn't a hard job and uh. it definitely wasn't that expensive, um. So I'd say it was a pretty good pretty good mod for what yeah. it was. I mean, I definitely recommend doing it with the engine out, and I definitely recommend not doing it yourself. <laughs> um, it can well be, depends it on can be really tricky if you're planning on doing that kind of mod at home on jack stands. Like, you know, good luck. Yeah, that's yeah, all, that's is, really hard. It is a bit of a struggle at home, um, but most Subarus have those weird, weird mods that mm. take a while. Like simple things on other cars that take a while on Subarus. Yeah. For example, spark plugs. Yep. Are the notorious ones for it. Yeah. Rocker um, cover gaskets. Rocker very cover hard gaskets. to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why the sump was one of them. Whereas if you do sump on a standard inline four. Yeah. Like one of the easiest jobs, you just unbolt, get a little like scraper, take all the stuff off, pull off the sump, put the other one on, done. Yep. yep. This one... A subframe was in the way. Um, really tight access with your fingers to get nuts and bolts in from behind yeah. the subframe. Engine mounts were in the way. Engine mount. You have to undo engine mounts, transmission mounts, and pull the engine up, like jack it up. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. sketchy and, and difficult, but can be done. But, um, yeah, definitely recommend with, like, engine out or just, you know, yeah, if you have a hoist or someone that has one, definitely use that. It'll make it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Not a Not a DIY friendly yeah, mod. just not that one. Yeah, for sure. That's all right. Um, there's plenty of DIY-friendly mods out there. For example, exhaust and stuff. Mm. Um, and you've got an exhaust on yours. Yeah, well, I would call it a, a, a muffler delete is what I'd call it because um, it was just so I could hear it on the track. 
because when you're wearing yeah. a when you're wearing your helmet, you got your windows up, um, and you're driving the car, you can't really hear it when it's stock. So I uh, just did a muffler delete so I could actually hear something. And to be honest, it actually sounds really, really good. Um, compared to a three thousand dollar Nvidia exhaust or a muffler delete, they honestly don't sound that different, um, uh, in my yeah. opinion. And I yeah. think it sounds pretty good. So I think your car's quite loud, um, but like yes. a good loud. Yeah, it's not a it's not an obnoxious not, loud. Not obnoxious loud. And it was two hundred and fifty dollars for the muffler delete DIY oh, wow. done in thirty minutes. Two hundred fifty bucks compared bucks. to like twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. That's twelve hundred bucks usually for a cat back. If you're doing a turbo back, it's yeah. It's more and a lot more effort. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, so coming back to this automotive society that you yes. started at uni, um, you've been at uni a lot too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you were at uni for a long time before you started this automotive industry uh, society. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, what made you start it all of a sudden? Um, I just noticed that there wasn't any sort of automotive society associated with Macquarie Uni. Um, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I thought yeah. about it before I went to Macquarie Uni. I was like, I do really want to go to Macquarie Uni because it's the closest to my house. Mm-hmm. It'll be the easiest for me. Um, my girlfriend goes there. Mm. So I was like, oh, it'll just make life easier. But um, out of all the unis in Sydney and even Newcastle and Wollongong and all those, yeah. they all have a automotive society where they do Formula SAE racing mm-hmm. or Formula Ford or like they have the solar power cars that they build yep. from scratch. Um, there's always something that they're racing in in the automotive industry and Macquarie Uni just didn't have any of that. Mm. We didn't even have a car club for God's sake. Yeah, not not an active one. It yeah. was, it was v- like, you know, they had quite a lot of members but I think it had just sort of just died. Um, and so not many people were doing any events. There was no track days organized. There was yep. very, very few car meets. Um, and but yeah, I just thought that was an option for us to but do. But that's so. not to say that there aren't car people at Macquarie University. Oh, no, We've not at all. Yeah. Plenty of car people in uh, uni just tapped into a reservoir of it. Just, yeah, for um, sure. No, nowhere for them to do anything mm. with the cars. Yeah. Maybe um, just a lack of initiative from people. Like it's a lot of effort to organize yeah, this is, sort of yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, for sure. We will go through all the hoops and stuff you went through. Oh, my God. But um, I, I do remember this one time that Macquarie University had one car club mm. and they were called Macquarie Tuniversity. Oh. Did you ever like, hear about this? I like the name. No, I haven't. No, I didn't I hear went about to, it. Uh, there, was, um, there was a meet at like um, Dural Bunnings this one time I remember going. Yeah. I took my FDRX7. Oh, God. And, um, and I rocked up and I think they had like 10 of them. And um and I rocked up in my car and the ten of them were just staring at me. They had um most of them were eighty sixes, there was a few Imprezas. There was one Supra and A mm. and um and they were all like, Hey, you, you, like super you would have blown their minds with an F D. <laughs> my goodness. I didn't even go to the uni at that time. Yeah, that just was rocked um, up. That was a year before I started uni. Um but yeah, that was that was so so good to meet people from the uni. I was like, oh, this is good. So it's good to know that there's car people there. Mm. It would be a lot lot better if I just started an automotive society and then mm. we can get all these car people together in one place with all their cool cars yeah. and do fun stuff with. And a great way to meet some like really awesome people. 100%. Oh my goodness. Like I think I've made such good friends through this um, society. We say this all the time. But um, 
even even during lockdown where you and I started live streaming and getting people yeah. on board. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my massive melon on camera. Yeah. <laughs> But it really, really helped. Like, it was so fun, it, especially in lockdown when a lot of people were just lonely. Um, they were sitting by themselves in mm. isolation. They've, we couldn't go out, do anything. And then suddenly you go online, you go on our Discord or you go on um, on Twitch. And yeah. you can see, like, us Interacting playing. with people. And then suddenly 50, 60 people would rock up and then play games with you. Yeah. People you have never t- spoken to before. Like Assetto Corsa, mate. Yeah. Like we had yeah, 15 people rock up to a custom Shotoko Revival project meet on yeah, a set of course. that we randomly set up one oh. day. Um, there was not really much of a plan, really. We just yeah. one day went, well, let's do a car meet online, virtual one. Yeah. Shout and, out um, to Nicholas Gross who organized all the uh, all the stuff on a set for us. That was yeah. very, very handy. Yeah, very handy. Um, and getting all these people together and then talking to them. And mm-hmm. th- that was a fun night for sure. Yeah. Um, Wreckfest. Wreckfest. Wreckfest yeah. went off. We yeah. had like 15 people on our dedicated MQAS server. Yeah. Um, and we were just totaling people and laughing, having the time. So, um, yeah, just events like that you wouldn't expect and live streaming that I've never even thought of doing and was yeah. now doing. Um, and, yeah, it was <laughs> so much fun yeah. meeting those people so as well. Good. And um, I'm glad we got into that. But uh, obviously outside of that we do a lot of um, – Real mm. events, real meetups. Now that real we can, meetups. Um, we do track days. Yep. Um, car meets, cruises, car meets, cruises, just general hangs. University oriented stuff as well with the go karts. Yeah. And U bar. Yep. Yep. U-bar, so yeah. social meets as well as Every our. Every now and then we book a table out to U bar and just. Um, definitely need to do that again. We yeah, had a lot of people rock up to that. It was a good fun. Get everyone together. Get, yep. um, get their drink on. And, yeah. Um, now that everyone's a year older and they're not fresh 18, they probably had a few more beers than they yeah, know what to do now. <laughs> so, that's <laughs> good. Um, so, yeah, it's always good. Um, you're If you're thinking of coming to Macquarie University or already are going to Macquarie University, um, hit us up. Join our Facebook page, um, which is Macquarie University Automotive, Automotive Society. Society. Yep. Uh, or MQAS yep. for short. So, we have the page. We have the group. We have the Instagram Yes. Um, we just need to get a website. Yep. And some um, some merch. Most of our content has been pretty dead on the Facebook and the Instagram as mm, such, mm. because well, there's not much going on mm. with COVID happening. M- mostly everywhere. Uh, personal content, so stuff that we do on our own cars and things like that for the time being. A few meets when we have organised them, we post up photos, but yep. um, yeah, just because of COVID recently as well, um, yeah, just had to delay a couple things. So COVID has really slowed everything down, mm. hasn't it? Um, yeah, big time. Although this is a secret plan, we're planning to do some sort of track day in February, March. Yeah, first of Feb. Um, first of Feb. First of Feb. Is this is booked in. This is well. The thing is, it's a, it's like a BYO um, car to a Wakefield organized track day. It's yep, not. Yep. It's not personally organized by us because the last time we tried to do that, it was um, it was a lot of effort. Got cancelled from COVID issues, and yeah, just you know. It's it'd be really hard to redo again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we'll definitely give it another go later, but it's just a BYO car day for Wakefield Park Track Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll just get a bunch of MQAS people down there, and yep. then if you want to come join, meet some people, come racing for the first time, get some pointers, then yeah, we'll, we'll be down be, there. We'll be there. Yep. Um, if and if I don't bring my own car, I will definitely be towing someone's car down mm. with the car trailer <laughs> and back maybe and back maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll definitely be there. It'll mm. be good, good fun. 
So, uh, automotive society. Mm. Um, what did you have to do to get it started? Um, so they have a like a society's commission at uni, um, and to become affiliated, you have to have like a set of executives ranging from like treasurer to president to vice president to secretary to executive officer to media manager, all this sort of stuff. Yep. You have to go to a meeting with the university um, society commission. Yep. Um, fill out a constitution. Um, write up your current financial situation, set up a bank account with the um, with Westpac. What do you mean current financial situation? As in like you have to say like uh, how much money the society currently has, if it's been running prior to and wanting to get affiliated or straight up getting affiliated. So yep. some societies run outside of university and have their own merch and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to get funding from the university, you have to be affiliated. So... Oh, some societies have some societies have money outside and then they come and become affiliated. So Wait, so we have societies at uni that are not affiliated. That, yeah, that can't that get funding, yeah. Currently funded by like individuals. The, the MQ Car Club itself was not an affiliated society with uni. Right. Which right. is also why they sometimes struggle. Yeah. Um so to get there is quite difficult. Um but yeah, did all that, had a meeting with all my um executives at that time that I'd selected that showed some interest. Um, managed to get it over the line, did some presentations at uni in front of all the engineering students, which I think is the first time you'd actually seen me and heard of me doing the society. So they had like a, it's in during O week, have like three, 350 students rock yep. up to this big auditorium. So it's basically every engineering student. For that current cohort running. Yeah. Yeah. Starting, starting uni that year. Yeah. Comes together in one big hallway. Yeah. Um, gets familiarized with the whole processes, um, mm. unit conveners, um, just managers, directors, yeah. everyone who you need to know in uni to be um, to be in engineering. Mm. And um, societies as well. And societies yeah. as well, yeah. So, so they did like a big orientation with icebreakers. So mm. I got to meet every sort of engineer, you know, like mm. I was a mechatronics um, major, then the, we had civil majors, software, electrical... Mechanical, um, all mechanical, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, all get together and just um, talk. Even though we'd probably never see each other again, it yeah. was just more to get to know each other and and see why you're doing engineering, what what got you guys interested kind of thing. So that was really, really fun. Mm. And then when societies um, got introduced, we had a few. And um, I remember you were one of the last ones. Yeah, I made sure that was the case. Yeah. Um, wanted and, um, to leave with the impact of being the last one. And it was so funny watching you come yeah. in. <laughs> this door opens. Everyone's like, oh, yep. So the next up, we'll be talking about um, this new society that's starting up. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's the Macquarie yeah. University Automotive Society. So if anyone wants to take part in Automotive Society... Um, Mitch will be talking about it and getting everyone up to date. The intro uh, sounded like a WWE intro. Yeah. And it's like, and the MQ Automotive Society. Oh, God. Yeah. So nervous getting up there. Like, public speaking is not people's favorite thing. Yeah. Um, I'd done a little bit at school, but then jumping in front of, like, you know, um, people who are professors and lecturers and then 350 yep. students, it was, um, it was a little bit daunting. So... Um, I remember just sitting there being like, damn it, someone beat me to yeah. it. I was going to start my own <laughs> automotive society. What yeah. the hell? Who's this guy? Yeah, who's um, this guy? Yeah. And you open the door <laughs> and in comes Mitch wheeling a 
go kart behind him. Yeah. You just had this go kart on a stand with wheels on it. Yeah. And you were, <laughs> you were just pulling it along. Yeah. And I like hit the wheel on the door coming in. Everyone <laughs> yeah. looked and like, what was that noise? Yeah. And this is the automotive society. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like that slowly made his way to the front of the yeah. crowd. Ran over a few people's hands on the ground and <laughs> stuff when they were sitting. <laughs> just, um, just to show this half finished go kart. Yeah, yeah. So I I put that one together. It was um everything was done on except all the body panels and like a couple little zip ties or whatever so it was an operating go-kart but just kind of looked really bare yeah kind of kind of like a car without any body panels on it sort of thing um and that was my showpiece and i think that's what sold a lot of people on coming to the society because it wasn't just you know car meets and cruises it was like get your hands dirty get into the engineering workshop and do some stuff whole point of our society is if you're an engineer you're probably not going to get much experience industry-wise. Or hands-on even, really. Even hands-on, yeah, being yeah. at uni, unless you have side projects and hobbies and other stuff that you do on the side. Um, so to fix that issue, our society... Tried our best to, yeah. Tried our best to get people involved, get their hands dirty, actually learn things mm. by doing it on the car, um, which I think is really good. Yeah, I mean, we had like quite a lot of students get involved at the start, which I really enjoyed. Um, but the hardest thing was is just keeping the keeping the interest, especially when people get busy with their um, university studies and stuff like that, like keeping people in the workshop. Yeah. Um, but it went really, really well. Um, we actually, the team that I have now, which includes Siraj and a few other uh, people, um, we actually managed to completely rebuild and refurbish ourselves a um, a go kart that one of our lovely uh, MQS members donated to us. Um, so we did everything like a nut and bolt restoration, including powder coating, which we brought into the university that they didn't have beforehand. Yep. Um, so we stripped, sandblasted, powder coated everything. Um, basically, made it all brand new. Rebuilt the engine which wasn't done by us in-house, um, but could definitely be something we do in the future. Yep. Um, and yeah, and then now have it running on the track and we've used it, which that is was phenomenal. A, that was an entire year ago from today, basically. An entire year we, ago, yeah. When we finished that cart. For O-Week, um, yeah. And we were like, oh, that's only one cart. We have another, what, three another chassis? Three chassis, yeah. Yeah, another three chassis to go. And we were like, yep, we'll finish all of these. We'll do all this and that. But then... Um, no workshop. Well, I think it was what... We had the first semester where most of our time was spent just setting up, setting yep. up the society in general because yep. we'd only just started. There was so much logistical stuff to go, yeah. funding. And um, I hadn't done much with the social media side of it, which Siraj has done heaps now, but I hadn't done any just because I was more focused just on the students and that sort of stuff. And so we didn't really have a Facebook presence. We didn't have an Instagram presence. Yep, um, yep. It was hard to reach out to people to get them to sign up for the society. Um, not a huge amount of active members, but more now. Um, yep. So yeah, that was, yeah, it was really O-week, hard that first year. O-Week really helped. We had a stall at O-Week last year mm. and we will probably do it again this year. Yep. Um, just a little stall where you can come say hi to us, sign up and... Um, sit in the go-kart. Sit in the go-kart. Like. Yeah, we have we have all our work on display. We had an electric bike. We had the go-kart. Yeah. Now we have uh, two electric bikes. A yeah, go-kart yeah. that's running properly and yeah. everything. So, um, And from what I know, we're doing a build video on this mm. electric bike. Yep. Yep. So we will be showing you guys how to make an electric bike yourself if you really mm. want it. And um, 
because Mitch uses it on a daily basis. You you go to yeah. work and back. You go to your girlfriend's house and back. Uni and back, everything now. So you use it more than you use your car at this point. I I honestly, um, in the last two weeks of having built this bike, I've used my car twice. I'll say three times now because I actually drove here. Yeah. Um, but twice, um, where I actually just loaded the bike into the car to take the bike to somewhere to ride it. It's the yep. only two times I've used my car in the last two weeks. There you go. So, um, so you've saved a lot of money on fuel. Oh, I haven't filled up for two weeks. I usually fill up like say one and a half times a week. Yep. And with the price of fuel now, yeah, um, and the cost of maintenance and the cost of labor in Australia, my goodness, like you're yep. paying through the roof just to keep your car on the road. Yeah. So your car has become more of a track car. Uh, yes. So it'll be, it'll be more useful on the track. Definitely a weekend car now, for yep. sure. Yeah. I just drive it occasionally on the weekend. Um, yep. but yeah, um, when I get the opportunity, I'll definitely do some more I track think oriented. I think it's definitely a really good idea for someone who can only afford one car, but still wants to track it. Mm. But, um, to take the fear away of crushing it or not crushing it, but breaking it rather, mm. Um, you still have transport. You still have transport if you have an electric bike and it doesn't cost anything. You just plug it into the wall yeah, my every dad, night. My dad pays for it. Electricity bill, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Just um, go home at the end of the night, plug it into the wall. You yeah. get like, what, 50 kilometer range or oh, something? Oh, more, way more. Way um, more. If I'm just going to throw some like stats, I went on a 65 kilometer bike ride with a few of my mates um, along the M7 cycleway and I went through two bars out of four from the battery. That's 65 really? kilometers and I've only used half the battery. Whoa. Yeah. So you'd say you'd get about close to 100 Ks more. Yeah. So if, you, if you're if you doing pedal assist and riding it a bit as well, you'd get 100 Ks at least. If you're just using the thumb throttle, I reckon 50 to 60 That's Ks. easy. Yeah. Oh my God. I could ride to my work and I, and I work yeah. so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally. And the best thing about it is I, I feel like I'm, a lot of people when they ride a push bike on the road, um, the speed differential between your bike and the other cars that you're riding with is the main reason why people get so frightened on the road. Yep. When you're going 15 or 20 Ks up a hill and a car's going 70, when they go past you, they almost like blow you over. Yep. So um, the best thing about this bike is I can keep up with traffic. Yep. So if I tuck, I look like a bit of a an idiot when I tuck, <laughs> but if I tuck on a mountain bike and I'm just using the thumb throttle, I'm going 70 Ks an hour. That's that's insane. Which means I'm speeding along Pacific speeding, Highway. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't get booked for it. But you can't get booked for it. Well, not registered, speed no camera nothing. at 70 k's an hour. No yeah. one's going to book you. <laughs> yeah, a sly little finger in the background just so they can yeah. see. Um, but for that aspect of it, um, I make up time in every travel, every journey that I do. Yeah, I guess you faster can faster than a car. Jump, jump off the road whenever you want to go past yeah. traffic. Yeah. Um, uh, I can ride between cars, get to the front. Yep. of um, traffic lights and stuff like that. Yep. And like my zero to say 60 time is probably eight seconds Oh wow. if I pedal and yep. use the throttle. You finally done it. You wanted MQIS to do more electric stuff at the start, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. So um, at least we have something that's electric now. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of electric, but, um, mm. but I'm definitely getting on board the more I hear about this bike. Yeah. Um, so that's good. That's, yeah. That's awesome. And a lot of people like... Um, have reached out to me since I posted the photos of it saying, hey, like I want to do this as well because I'm sick of paying $2.5.9 a litre for 98 to put in yeah, my car. Yeah, yeah. How do I avoid this? How can so I find another mode maybe of transportation? Maybe you should hurry up and, um, do, the and build do, the, video, yeah. do the build video. <laughs> Definitely. And um, 
maybe I can buy one myself too. Yeah. And uh, to put in perspective, if you're going to buy an e-bike from a distributor, you're paying like three grand, maybe three and a half. If you buy like a Specialized or an S-Works or something like that, you're paying like five grand, six grand for a bike. Yep. And they're not as fast because yep. they have to meet like legislation and rules and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they cost so much more. I paid $400 for my mountain bike like five years ago. And I retrofitted this kit for $1,400. So my kit's worth like 1800 bucks, And I'm twice as fast as any other um, electric bike out there that you can That's buy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you so reckon we could convert my shitty little mountain bike? You can convert anything you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. Should, you just make sure you have disc brakes. Yeah. If you don't yeah. have disc brakes, like good luck stopping. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Fair yeah, enough. If you don't have disc brakes, then yeah, I wouldn't do it with just rim brakes. For sure. Yep. Yep. Okay. True, true. But... um. That's good to know. Yeah. It's good to yeah. know. It's definitely some avenues to save some money if you really research and look into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there you go, guys. If you want to keep your track car and still get to work for a lot cheaper. Yeah. And not be breaking your car everywhere. Yeah. 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 Great options. That's so, it. Um, when, I, uh, when I eventually, you know, move out of home, hopefully that's sometime soon, Um this will be the best way to save money. You know what I mean? So when I'm paying home repayments or if I'm paying rent or whatever, I'm also not paying for car maintenance. I'm not paying for insurance and rego yeah. and CT, like freaking comprehensive and I'm not paying for fuel. So Fuel's a huge one. Fuel's, fuel's a huge fuel's one. probably the biggest one, yeah. I think um, with the Evo at least, I used to spend like $70 a week, $60 a week on mm. fuel. Um now I drive my little MX-5 and I think I spend $40 a week on mm. fuel, maybe $30. So it's not much, but it's still still yeah. quite a bit. My STI is 50 litres and yep. it's $2 a litre. So I'm paying $100 a tank. That's crazy. So, yeah, it adds up, especially when you only get like three fifty, four hundred out of a tank. Yep, yep. So it's a lot. But yeah, Mitch, um, anything else you want to tell us? Any crazy stories you've got? Uh, oh, there's some crazy stories. Probably not podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably couldn't tell a few of them on the podcast. Automotive um, stories. Automotive stories. Um, well, just a, as an FYI to everyone, um, we originally recorded this um, podcast where we had some issues with some audio, so we're doing yes. it again. But one of the stories I remember bringing up on the last podcast was um, I was hanging out with some friends from Snow Foam. So another reason why car getting into cars is such a great thing is now I know the owner of Snow Foam Australia, which is KC. Yeah, he's one of our sponsors. One of our sponsors for the society. So um, he uh, he's a great bloke. And um, there was the, uh, I think it's called Gumball or Bull Rush, Bull uh, Rush Rally. Bull Rush Rally. Bull Rush Rally in Australia, um, where you get all these supercars, hypercars coming down from uh, Queensland or whatever down the entire east coast and they just visit like racetracks as they go and do some activities and track days and things like that um and as part of the um as part of their trip snow foam uh, agreed to wash all of the um supercars at eastern creek when they came through from the drag strip um and all of them agreed to it and so i got to wash like ferrari 458s lexus lfas bentley continentals um Lamborghinis, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then uh, on that particular afternoon, I'd driven my dad's HSV down there just because I was like, I don't want to drive a Holden Cruise. Like it'll just kind of look like a sore thumb around all of those supercars. So I drove the HSV down there. And once the um, once the event had actually finished, um, 
for some particular reason, all the supercars left, all the people, you know, organizers, um, safety, security people had just left the area, left the area. And so we had the entire um, car park adjacent to the drag strip, Sydney drag strip, um, just to ourselves right at the end. Um, and obviously we'd been washing the cars all day, so there's quite a bit of water on the ground. Um, and I decided for the first time ever to try and do a, uh, a burnout and a skid. So um, jumped in dad's HSV, turned off the traction control, turned off the stability control, uh, dumped the clutch in first gear and did a burnout probably 50 to 60 meters around light poles in the car park of Eastern <laughs> Creek. <laughs> Hopefully they, someone from Eastern Creek isn't listening to this and can bring up footage because they probably have some sort of CCTV no, there. That's probably but a long time ago now. Long, long time ago now. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was probably a little bit of... Uh, uh, me misbehaving in cars for the first time. First little story. <laughs> um, Almost crashing your dad's HSV. Yes, into one of the light poles, which is probably one of the most frightening experiences of a car because it's not so much the car being damaged. I'm scared out. It's my dad damaging me when he finds out his car's damaged. Yeah, 100%. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the scary thing. Um, God, what else? Uh, probably driving the STI through um, uh, uh, Old Pacific Highway at night. Yep, yep. Um, can be a little bit sketchy when it's uh, when it's wet. So uh, a couple times driving through there, I've understeered sort of into the oncoming lane and a few things like that. So got to be real careful, but nothing too serious. I'm not too crazy on the roads. Um, yeah, I'd say you're a pretty pretty responsible driver yeah. compared to a lot of people. R- relatively, we've met. like I certainly go over the speed limit um, occasionally. Only in Mexico. But yeah, in the, yeah, in Mexico, yeah, Only in Mexico. yeah, in Queensland, yeah, yeah, same, same, same thing. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, just pretty, uh, pretty cruisy. Just relax. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now that I have my bike, when I drive my STI, I just, I don't know. I just feel way more relaxed. You know, I don't more feel like a, I have to get something out of it. You know, more of a hoon on an electric bike than a. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude, it's, it's so much more. Like <laughs> I don't have indicators. I'm weaving in and out of lanes. <laughs> um, Riding next to people, like looking at them, going 65, just like staring in their window and they're wondering why I'm not pedaling and keeping <laughs> up with their car. <laughs> so, yeah, stuff like that now for sure. Um, so, I can't wait for electric motorbikes. That'd be so fun. Mm, um, I'm actually planning with um, Tommy Williams, who's one of the other, he's the vice president of MKS at the moment, um, planning on building like a proper fast e-bike so i've got like yes. a two kilowatt motor yeah and we're going to try and go for like a 12 kilowatt motor whoa so something that would like beat cars even if they're trying so <laughs> yeah that's like super bike level yeah highly illegal <laughs> <laughs> so that's the most illegal thing i've done on the road if i do that so yeah your brakes will be glowing hot every time you come to a stop oh, yeah. at a traffic light <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll just stick my arms out, use a bit of a windbreak or something like that. Aerodynamics. Yeah. Parachutes at the back. Yeah. Yeah. Drag parachutes for yeah. sure. Every light, have to repack it back in. <laughs> yeah. Hope it works. Um, um, I actually had some questions for you as well, which is about um, university and studying during COVID. Yes. How you found that. I Especially found it. being like coming into uni, getting your first year, just getting slammed with online University. Yeah, yeah. So I started uni at the start of last year. Mm. Um, I actually started uni in 2019, but um, but I decided to take that year off, um, so I deferred it for a year. Um, started uni last year, and uh, I think I got into week 
four, I think week three, week four, mm. before they went, oh, uni shut, COVID's now a mm. thing, and um, no longer, no longer will be coming into uni, mm. uni from home only. Um, so semester one last year, thankfully first year subjects are not so hard. So I didn't struggle really badly. I still found uni fun. I definitely found the campus way more fun than I did yeah. working from home. I miss that. Um, but definitely. I kind of liked... It was exciting at the start. I was like, ooh, I wonder how long this lockdown's going to be. It'll be fun working from home a little bit. Yeah, is know? it going to be six months? Like, where yeah, everyone can put up home. with six months, no worries. Yeah, but and then semester two became online only as well, mm. which was a bit annoying. They were um, thinking about transitioning. They're like, should we bring it back? Should we not? And then yeah. next thing you know, they're like, you know, it's a bit hard. We'll do it all Well, he said too. it will definitely be back. Our vice chancellor of the Macquarie yeah. Uni said... No matter what, we will be back on campus. <laughs> and then a week <laughs> a week before semester two started, we will not be back on yeah, campus. I, I take that back, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're also firing a lot of people like, yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Sorry about that. Um, not only are you working from home now, you're going to get less teaching than you would. Yeah, so you're working from home with less pay now. Good yeah. luck. Far out. So then um, semester two was very annoying. Mm. I did not like it at all. Um, and then this year, semester one, we I went back for one subject only. Mm. Or oh, not this year, sorry, 2021 now. Mm-hmm. Um, start of 2021, we went back to campus. I did for one subject. The rest of my subjects were still online only. Mm. Um, doing maths online only mm-hmm. was so <laughs> painful. You could never ask a question. They will yeah. put you in a breakout room and mm. then you just won't have a tw- tutor like yeah. and and if you ask a question to your fellow classmates like, no answer there's no there's no webcam on nothing no one would care yeah so that was that's that's a funny thing as well is like no one wants to show their face no that was on, so on annoying Zoom. yeah that was super annoying it's like you have friends that you only know the sound of their voice yeah and it's not really the sound well, of their voice well i don't, I don't think i made any friends through that none of them mm. talked they all they were always on mute it was so mm. annoying but um, anyway, I studied Japanese and that was the only class I had on campus. And I'm glad. Mm. Learning a new language from scratch. Um, I'm so glad I got to go to the campus. Um, I had the body language of the tutor. It was a mm. private class. Obviously, there's not definitely that many people. Definitely need that in language, I think, yeah, more than there's anything. definitely not that many people learning a new language at uni. So it was um, quite intimate little class and I got to know everyone in the class. Um, so I made lots of friends there, mm. which was really good for me. Um, How's I have your anime experience now. Anime experience is very fun. Well, uh, kind of annoying. If, uh, sometimes it feels like I'm studying. Oh, yeah, um, true. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm trying to listen to some words and be like, oh, I don't 100% know what that means. And then I'd rewind it, pause it, listen to it again, and then search it up on the dictionary and just be like, mm. what was that word again? Mm. Um, so it can be fun and not fun at the same time. And you can't really read the subtitles because sometimes you'd hear the sentence and you'd be like, wait, that's not what he what said. What they're saying, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, the subtitles job is to go into natural English, mm. um, but some things in Japanese you just can't translate. Yeah, there's natural. a meaning behind it that's not a word in English for sure. Yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't hundred percent translate over, so that was a bit, that's a bit that's a bit off putting. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah that that was good. Um, then semester two, 2021 mm. was utter pain, yeah. pure pain because like it was online only. Not only that, we had full lockdown. Year subjects, full lockdown. We had full lockdown. You couldn't go out for 
anything. Like mm. we weren't allowed to get out of the house unless it was for groceries once a day. Even mm. like you couldn't and even one person in the family. Yeah, so one like, per- yeah. one person in the family can go out and once per day. And for me, I I live with my partner, so she's the one who normally goes and gets the groceries. Mm. Because it's on the way home from her work. So you don't even leave home. So I never left home. Mm. I, I think for like that two, three months we were in lockdown, I didn't leave the house at all, um, which was super annoying. And then I had no motivation to do uni because mm. I'd also started a new job and yeah. working from home in the new job. And doing MQAS stuff as well. And doing Like MQAS you had a lot stuff. of stuff on your plate. Yeah, yeah. It was, I don't know. Uni was definitely the least of my priorities because it wasn't motivating enough at all. And um, what do you reckon you got out of those subjects? Nothing. Like yeah, I, feel, I don't I think I like learned. Learning I don't think I crap. learned anywhere near as much as I would have if I was on campus. Mm. Um, I did physics, maths, and one of my spine units. Mm. Um, the spine units, <laughs> which is Eng. 2000. Eng 2000, mm. which the whole point of the subject is for you to go and build. <laughs> on campus, build something with your hands. Yeah, build mm. on campus something like a project. And we were meant to build a robot that mm. collected tennis balls and deposited them in a, in a collection box. Mm. Obviously, we didn't build a robot. Mm. So I spent an entire semester writing reports mm. on how this robot would have been like and what it would have done and how it would have done it but never actually doing it. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's one of the issues with um, doing engineering and not doing like something to do with TAFE is that hands-on experience is what you lack. Yeah. And so like, yeah, you learn how to do all the report stuff and it's about collaboratively working with a team and um, especially for your spine unit for 2000, it's about writing reports and documenting it and identifying people's like workloads and what they contributed and things like that. But when you're doing it on a fake um, project basically when you're not yeah. actually building it it just it feels like there's no point well the annoying thing was for the first five weeks they just let us along or yeah till till the mid-semester break they let us along and being like maybe we might go back on campus depending on the COVID situation and then you might actually build it so just do all the parts procurement and all that stuff beforehand mm. in case we need to go back and you need to build it and then after the mid-semester break, they were just straight up like, no, we're not actually going back. Yeah. You're never actually building this robot. All yeah. this work you've done this whole semester means nothing. And then they go, now write a reflection on your experience in the unit. Yeah. And you're like, uh, no. Oh, that wasn't even <laughs> the worst part of it. The worst part of it was we had to still write a testing document. Yeah. Yeah. How a am I testing meant to test, document. <laughs> how am I meant to test something that doesn't exist? <laughs> so I had to write imaginary numbers into my testing document like i tested the robot to do this yeah and i used my multimeter and got seven volts <laughs> oh no I, d- I didn't even go that far i was like this is stupid i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend yeah so i just my testing doc was just what i would have tested how mm. i would have tested it why i would have tested it yeah and that was it i didn't actually include any fake results some of the some of the groups did fake results i was like that's a bit of a waste of time yeah I think you and the and the lecturer knows this doesn't exist. Does, yeah, <laughs> and it would never work that well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think the big part of engineering, as someone who has hands-on experience, like I was a mechanic before I started engineering, um, and as a mechanic, I can 100% guarantee you a lot of engineers will come up to you and say, that's easy. I will build it for you. I can build this. I can build that. I got all the theory. And they'll put the theory down on a piece of paper. Mm. But when it comes to actually building it, mm. it will never function. 
because they don't have real life. Um, yeah. Like they don't they don't take into account other factors. Yeah, I can definitely put that in perspective, and that's exactly what happens when um, students start doing CAD work, right? Yeah, and they make impossible angles. On yep. the cuts for a CNC machine, right? Yeah. And so a CNC machine has limitations based on like its bit size and like um, how wide the angle is, the arc and the way it traces and things like yep. that. So these these kids are building these amazing contraptions, and then they go to send in like their um, uh, markup drawing of it, so it can be translated into G code to be done on the CNC. And the CNC just says like get stuffed. I can't cut this at like a thirty degree angle, then fifty five the opposite direction, then twelve this way. Like yep. it's just yep. impossible to do. Yeah. And then you expect these kids to then go into like a workplace and design something yeah, based on that experience. Like they yeah. need to know and it, it's just, Definitely yeah, you can't design stuff. As a mechanic, like that. we've, um, my industry sort of hates engineers <laughs> and I can totally understand why. Mm. Um, when you're working on a car, for example, um, the Mercedes ML series, Mm. In the olden days. I like the 63. Um, oh, yes. The new ones yeah. are really good. But let's say mid-2000s, like 2010 maybe, mm. um, you will go to do the battery and you'll find out that the battery is under the driver's seat. And mm. you're like, hmm, that's a bit of a pain for a five-minute. <laughs> this five-minute job has just turned into like 30 minutes. Yeah. You take the driver's seat off and you realize there is no cutout in the carpet for the battery tray. So... The apparently Mercedes and its engineers thought that the battery will last the life of the car. I don't know if they mean that the battery's really good or the car's really shit. Or people won't forget to turn lights off in their car by accident. Yeah, right? <laughs> like people won't make a mistake driving this car at all. Yeah, Never leave exactly. a light on. Like, yeah, this battery will stay pristine for the rest of its yeah. life. Like, come on. Like, what, do you expect your car to only last six months a yeah. year? What do you. The um, guy thinking that's probably had a dead battery in a Mercedes. Oh, so, it won't happen again, though. Yeah. <laughs> so the only way to do it is to actually physically cut the carpet mm. out of the car. The floor carpet, you have to cut a square out of the car, replace the battery, which takes ages because mm. it's not meant to be replaced. Um, <laughs> yeah. You replace the battery and then you just sort of pat the carpet back down and yeah. put a floor mat over it. And Get you're a like, 3M tape and go. And you call it notice. a day. Yeah. And um, that's what Mercedes dealerships do. Yeah. That's just one example of an engineering marvel where I'm like, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Why were you thinking what you were thinking? Obviously, this person's never worked on a car before, doesn't actually know what a function of a battery is, just needed to engineer some space into where it can fit yep. and went, yep, and it obviously didn't mm. pass quality control or for some yeah. reason, Mercedes weren't thinking right for this one model. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they changed it after a while. That 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 was a very short run. Yeah. But do, do you think as well that um, most manufacturers of vehicles nowadays want to increase the labor time on doing jobs so they can get more money? No, I don't think it's labor time. I think they want to make it more complicated for the average mechanic. Uh, so, so you have to take it back to dealerships. Yeah, like, like mm. your mechanic um, that works at the local servo, for example, doesn't have a workshop manual, doesn't know where certain things are. Mm. Like if you told a mechanic at your local shops to change the battery on one of those ML series... He's not going to think to cut the carpet out. Yeah. And if he is, how does he know if it's the passenger side or the driver's side? Yeah. How many seats is he going to take out before he realizes it's under this bit of carpet and cuts seven different bits of carpet? Yeah, exactly. Like, seriously. Um, I have nothing against putting batteries under driver's seat or passenger seat. A lot of cars do it. Audis do it. BMWs do it. 
Um, Mercedes does it. Jeep does it. You know, like mm. heaps of cars do it. But why not make it accessible? Why make it so you have to actually cut a part of your interior out, which shouldn't be cut? Mm. You know, you should never have to cut your carpet. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Um, other things are obviously Audis are very tightly packed. They use a lot of special tools. Mm. Um, but they will put simple things in places where it takes four hours of labor time to take something apart mm. to get to this one little thing. I know that... Um uh, Lamborghini engines, the old Countach and stuff like that, they had their timing chain against the firewall. So the engine was obviously f- uh, mid-engine. Yep. So you'd have to take the engine out to get to the timing chain rather than having the timing chain at the front of the engine. Or yeah. um, that's actually not the worst bit. The worst bit <laughs> La- Lamborghini did was um, on the Diablos. So I used to work at a workshop that did Lamborghinis. At the Diablo, mm. um, I'm pretty sure it was a Diablo. It was a long time ago. But um, the oil filters actually stuck against the firewalls. You have to take the engine out to do the to do oil, oil filter. filter. So every year on a service, your engine has to come out basically. Yeah. Um, or the engine mounts have to be undone. Your gearbox mount yeah. has to be undone. And the likelihood and of something when rebolting it going back in wrong. Yeah. And it like has to be moved back in. So, yeah, you know, a lot of engineers do a lot of things dumb. Um Maybe it was a later time. Maybe it was a Gallardo. I'm not 100% sure mm. now because I think it was an Audi engine and they just mounted it the other way. Mm. And so then went, oh, crap. We have so to take it out now for a filter. Yeah. And yeah. they did that every year. Mm. So your service, that would cost you... A lot, a lot of money. Maybe yeah. a thousand bucks normally, which um, which is nothing for a Lamborghini world, mm. would cost you like 30 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still not a lot for a Lamborghini. Nah. Nah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's still a lot, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a big chunk. But yeah. You notice um, the difference when you have like race teams and they have cars that are custom built for stuff. Yeah. They make sure that, you know. Everything's one bolt everything away. Everything is one bolt away. It's all accessible. They go, how do yeah. you change a clutch? Bang. An hour yeah. later, clutch has already changed with yeah. gearbox back yeah. in. Um, you obviously don't get that on road cars. So those um, are obviously smarter engineers that have actually worked on the car. Well, I think it's also engineers working with their mechanics. You know what I mean? It's not just the engineer designing the whole thing and then doing it himself. Yeah, it's like yeah. them going, how do you want it? What's the easiest way to yeah, do this? Yeah, exactly. I can design it. You just tell me how to make it accessible yeah. for you. A bit of collaboration between them rather than just an engineer coming up with the whole thing and mechanic going, wow, I'm going to yeah. suffer now because of this. Which is, which is where I go back to the point where having this um, automotive society really helps because we actually work on cars a lot and um, we invite our student members to come and work on the car with us. Mm. Um even if it's just basic stuff, your yeah, hundred percent. We filters, always encourage intake it. air filters. You know, there's, there's, you should always know about your car, regardless. If you have an interest in cars, just at least know the basics mm. of how to service a car or how it should work. You don't have to do it every yeah. year. Uh, not, not everyone has time. And I don't mean to throw my friend under the bus, but um, uh, I, I got a friend by the name of Cassie, and Cassie, she didn't realize that she had to put air in her tires. She thought that was the mechanic's job. And understandably, like you'd think when you take your car to a mechanic that, you know, a lot of stuff would get done during a service. But unfortunately, putting air in your tire is not really one of their jobs. Well, it's and meant to be. It's meant to be. Yeah. But I, I doubt it. I doubt it happens that often. And so she was driving around um, at one point on 18 PSI, 17 PSI, 12 and 8 on her four um, tires. Yeah. And 8 PSI is like friggin' off-roading 
full drive tire <laughs> pressures, you yeah. know, like that's like flat so you can crawl over rocks, not so you can go 110 on That's where you need like freeways. a strong sidewall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so little things like that, like even it's a, if it's as simple as checking air pressures in your tire, if you've never done it before and you don't know what you're doing, you rock up to the servo and there's this air pump and you're like, how does this actually work? Like stuff like that, we can just tell you. You know, yeah, what I mean? or show yeah, you, and then yeah. you know. Even if it's just very basic maintenance like that, yeah, and that's like safety as well. You know, if you're driving around on eight psi, you have your diff over rotating and things like that. Like yeah. it's crazy. So, and um, yeah, if you definitely need help, it's it's always good to come talk to someone about it. Mm. Um, I'm a qualified mechanic, so I can always help. Um, Mitch, Ethan, Max, all the other executives mm. have worked on cars more than enough yeah. to glorified enthusiasts I think to be um, labeled as to point you in the right direction at least and tell you what what to do and what not to do mm. especially on cars that we actually own um, yeah so if you're looking for like a little bit of Subaru advice or something like that I can help you out with some basic stuff but I wouldn't be able to help you out on a K-series yeah. Honda Moto or something like that but yeah yeah two of our executives own um, Toyota 86s mm. which is a very one's, popular car one's turbo as well one's turbo so yep next level um, which will be at the track day as well Will be. Yeah, super excited. What kind of cars do you reckon we'll have at the track day then? Um, I think we'll. Uh, I think it'll be an ND MX5. Which not is the Tom. Spirit either, still. Nah, nah, oh. not this time, because it's going up in price. You don't want to take a two hundred thousand dollar car on on the track anymore. It's fun to see RX7s on track though. It is fun. Um, um, there'll be an STI. Yep. There'll be maybe another MX5. Your one. Or maybe my MX5 maybe or my Evo, Evo Eight. Evo 8, um, there'll definitely be a turbocharged 86. There'll definitely be a naturally aspirated 86 with some gorgeous-looking T37s on it now. Yep. Um, there'll most likely be um, a bagged Audi A4. Really? Um, yeah. So um, Chris Perwa, he's, uh, he's been keen for these track days for a while now, and he's got a – I saw it the other day. He has Porsche KN 6-pot brakes on his Audi A4. Oh wow. With like a pretty awesome setup. So um and on bags. So it looks looks phenomenal. Um what else do we have out there? I'm sure there'll be a few other cars coming out. Sounds like fun cars though. Good mix. Yeah, yeah. We always have uh we normally get a Lotus, a full track car oh, Lotus. Yeah. Exige S, yeah, the yep. to uh, the supercharged one. Yep. Um, we also, the last track day we did at London, we also had an Audi S3. We had, um, a Honda, which was Max's old one, the Integra Type R. Yep. Um, we had a Veloster Turbo. Yep. <laughs> which is no more, unfortunately. Um, no. and yeah, a few other cars. So yeah, there's plenty of people that come out with, you know, their dailies as well. So yeah. Heaps of options for people. Fair enough. Um, yeah, if you want to know more about us or ask us a question or talk to us, um, you can go on our Facebook, on our Instagram. Um, we are called MQ Automotive Society on Instagram, yep. Macquarie University Automotive Society on Facebook. And then obviously, if you want to follow the podcast, it's the Automotive Society underscore on Instagram. Mm. Um, give us a follow, ask us any questions if you ever like. And um, if you want to be featured on the podcast and want to share your car stories, um, please let us know. Mm. And um, on that note, thank you very much for Mitch. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate coming. it. Um, we've just hit over the one hour mark, so I think I'm going to cap oh, it. And yep. we're going to get Mitch back on another episode in the future. Um, 
Easy. Thanks lots, for having me, mate. Appreciate lots it. Lots more fun stories to be told by Mitch. So we'll... Yeah, we'll hopefully by then as well. We'll, we'll save them. Stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll be telling you how our track day is going as well. Yeah, and um, some e-bike videos. Yeah, that's it. Um, cool. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you later. See you later.